Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 to 20. Let me go ahead and read this for us. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're continuing in our series in the book of Hebrews, and last week we heard from a, a very challenging passage that warns us against apostasy, uh, permanently falling away from the faith, and proving oneself to be a non-believer, um, someone who didn't believe to begin with. But it ended with, uh, if you recall, this encouragement uh, in verse 12, uh, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Don't be sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay. So it left us with something tangible, something concrete we can actually act upon. And today's passage teaches us more on this faith, what it really means to have this faith and be patient in this faith. And the author is going to remind us of three things. Three things that the author will remind us of. He, he reminds us of how we are identified by our faith, how we are to hold fast to our faith, and who, who the anchor of our souls is. Okay? How we're identified by our faith, how we're to hold fast to our faith, and who the anchor of our souls is. All right? So first, uh, let's be reminded of how we are identified by our faith. Uh, you would have noticed as you're reading this passage that the faith that we're encouraged to imitate here is Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith. We're called to imitate the faith of Abraham. And here's why this is important. If you find yourself carrying the faith of Abraham, the Bible says, then you are an offspring of Abraham. You belong to the promise that was given to Abraham. Uh, and why is that important? Because that's what essentially defines a Christian. A Christian who is someone who falls under the blessing of Abraham. A lot of Christians today uh, have trouble connecting these dots between their Christian identity and their identity as being an offspring of Abraham. So many of them think, uh, okay, being an offspring of Abraham, that makes you an Israelite, that makes you a Jew. But uh, being a Christian means you belong to Christ or the New Testament church. False dichotomy. It's, you shouldn't be separating those two things. The very first converts to Christianity were Jews. The first Christians, so-called Christians, were Israelites. Uh, when Peter preached and converted, led to 3,000 people being converted in one day, those were Jews. 
The Israelites were the church first, and then the Gentiles were grafted in. Gentiles were also referred to many times all throughout the scriptures as offspring, true offspring of Abraham. And so, so it becomes this one people of God, one assembly of God. If you're a Christian, you're an offspring of Abraham. If you're a true offspring of Abraham, you're a Christian. So this is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 9, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, and that's physical offspring. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Okay? So you're counted as children of God and offspring of Abraham and belonging to true, spiritual, eternal Israel if you believe the promise. Okay? So let me try to connect this a bit more with the Old Testament scriptures. This goes all the way back to Abraham in Genesis 17. Uh, in Genesis 17, God says to Abraham, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So what we see here is God establishing an everlasting covenant with Abraham. Not an Old Testament covenant, but an everlasting covenant with Abraham. And he says, Abraham, you will be the father of a multitude of nations. Not one, but multitude of nations. This is what carries over into the New Testament scriptures, where through Jesus, the offspring of Abraham do indeed become multitude of nations. Through Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, many nations are saved. We're saved. So Jesus says this in John 8, 56, speaking to the Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And Paul also says in Galatians 3, speaking to Christians, know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In other words, if you believe the same gospel that was preached to Abraham in Genesis 17, that's what makes you a child of Abraham, of the, of the descendants of Abraham, eternally and spiritually. Okay, so how do Gentiles enter into this everlasting covenant God made with Abraham? Right? Maybe some of you are sitting here today or watching on live stream wondering, I'm neither a Christian nor an Israelite. How do I get in? I'm interested. How do I get in? The same way Abraham did, by faith, by believing in the promise of God. Remember the story of Abraham? He was nearing 100. Sarah, his wife, was nearing 90. And when God promised them that they would bear a child, which is a good start for being a father of a multitude of nations, having one child, right? They laughed it off. That's, that was their first reaction to God's promise. They laughed it off. But when God assured them of his promise by adding on top of that promise an oath an oath that he swore by himself, they believed him. 
and when they believed in God, counted that as righteousness. I love how Calvin describes this story of Abraham and the struggle of faith in his commentary. So let me read this for you. Quote, Sarah had been through life barren. Both had reached a sterile old age when they were nearer the grave than to a conjugal bed. Nearer the grave than the conjugal bed. There was no vigor to beget children when Sarah's womb, which had been barren through the prime of life, was now become dead. Who could believe that a nation would proceed from them, equaling the stars in number and like the sand of the sea? It was indeed contrary to all reason. Yet Abraham looked for this and feared no disappointment because he relied on the word of God. So you see here how their circumstantial evidence looked bleak, right? No vigor, Sarah's womb was lifeless, it all seemed contrary to reason, but Abraham relied on the word of God, and that's faith. That's faith. You, you having the, all the evidence stacked up against you, you can't be loved by God. Who do you think you are? You cannot be a child of God forever. God doesn't want you in his kingdom. That's all that the evidence screams in your face. And you may look at your spiritual life and you go, that's lifeless. And my spiritual life is fruitless. It's barren. It's dead. Okay. And it may seem contrary to all reason to believe that this God will love you and save you. But you turn to the Word of God, which says nothing can separate you from the love of your Heavenly Father, and the good work that he began in you, he will bring to completion. And so you still come to him, and you still hear his word, and you still trust in him. That's faith. And that's the Christian faith. It's the one that resembles and imitates the faith of Abraham. This faith in a God who saves us by his grace, not by our works. Abraham didn't Abraham didn't produce a baby at age 100 because he tried really hard. <laughs> um, boys and girls, that's not how it works. Okay? Um, and Sarah didn't somehow activate her inactive womb. Okay? They were not blessed because they tried really hard according to their own free will. They trusted in the promise of God and they waited. They trusted and they waited. And that's faith. And that's what it means in our passage in verse 15 today. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Faith and patience. Faith and patience. And God counting that to you as your righteousness. The Christian definition of righteousness is not like the world, where you better have a pristine record where nobody can you know, dig up something you wrote or you, you tweeted or you said decades ago and then cancel you, right? Um, that's, not, that's not what God means by righteousness. Righteousness is this. It's trusting in the goodness of God. If you have faith in him and you patiently wait upon him, he counts that to you as righteousness. In the same way, we are counted as righteous when we put our faith in the promises of God and wait on him. Faith and patience. And so the author is calling Christians to imitate the faith of the father of our faith, Abraham. Okay. Abraham's not our heavenly father, but he is the father of our faith. 
imitate that faith. Your spiritual heritage, okay, imitate that. Don't put your faith in your circumstances, in the voices of your enemy condemning you, saying you're no good. But trust in the word of God like your father Abraham did, against all reason and circumstances. And he was counted as righteous. And if you think about it, every Christian testimony is essentially something that resembles Abraham's testimony. Right? God called me out of my familiar place when I didn't know him at all. I didn't live faithfully to him or obediently to him. I didn't keep any promises I made to him. But God, he was faithful to call me. He was faithful to make me his own, and he's kept all his promises to me, and that's why I belong to him today. Essentially, the, the common denominator in every Christian testimony is this. So this is your faith identity, and this is your faith ancestry, if you will. This is who you are. This is who you are. And therefore, this is who you should imitate. Okay? I think this is really, really, really important. It's more important, I think, for us to be reminded of the importance of imitating Abraham's faith in God than imitating God himself. Okay? I think sometimes we jump too quickly to imitating God when the first step is no, imitate Abraham's faith in God. Um, if you skip that step, you will quickly realize how disqualified you are as a people of God. If, if the only calling to Christianity is be like God, don't skip the first step. Be like Abraham, who trusted God to save him when he was no good, when he had no hope. And then, and then seek to imitate your adopted Heavenly Father. So let's talk a little bit more about this faith that, that we should grow into. But let's press into this a bit more and talk about the second point, how we can hold fast to God by this faith. Uh, verses 17 and 18 says this, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now first, it says here God desires to show more convincingly. Okay. Now, let me pause there and make a quick note. Uh, please don't let this talk about faith make you think that Christians are somehow um, irrational, anti-evidence or anti-science or something like that. Uh, not at all. We believe God gave us reason. He gave us a created, orderly universe with natural laws that govern it, that's discoverable. Right? We have a worldview that justifies scientific inquiry. That's not what we're talking about. We're not even talking about uh, being convinced of God's existence. That's not even what we're talking about. There's something even goes even further than that. We're talking about trusting in God's goodness and His salvation in your life, in your personal life. Uh, this is less of an intellectual question, more of a relational, relational question. And they're related, but they're, they're, they're quite distinct. Uh, it's like, you know, when... Lynn and I were, were dating, there were certain 
certainly intellectual dialogues going back and forth, right? Um, where I'm collecting just true information about her, right? And she's tr collecting true information about me. And that's good, and that's important. But when it came to, does she, does she love me? Or does he love me back? That kind of certainty, right? You don't turn to intellectual information for that. Now that, that takes more than intellectual dialogues. It takes spiritual conversations, right? relational conversations to build that kind of assurance. And ultimately, right, the assurance really kicks in when somebody says yes to the proposal. Right? It's in the words of Beyonce, when you put a ring on it. Right? <laughs> that's, when, that's when your assurance is matched with something even more certain on top of that. Right? Otherwise, you, you kind of remain in the state of uncertainty, insecurity, um, and, and you would know the difference between hearing somebody say, I love you, and then hearing the, the difference between that and hearing someone say, will you marry me? Those are two very different qualitative statements. It says here that God gave us two unchangeable things. Okay. He gave us his promise, and that's amazing because he is not a liar. That's true enough, but on top of that, he sealed that promise with an oath. He swore by his own name, right? He's putting a ring on it. He's putting a ring on that promise so that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Okay. Uh, the, the point of this point is not for you to now, okay, now, now you know that you have the faith of Abraham go and try really hard and hold on to that faith. No. Um, even the second point falls upon God being the one who strongly encourages us and empowering us to hold on to that faith. This is still about how good God is. Okay. So don't even go there just yet. Right? What, what, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to hold fast to this faith? The point is still on God being the one convincing you, strongly encouraging you so that you would hold fast to this hope. So that you would wait with this assurance. You would wait upon the Lord with certainty. And that's what Christian hope means. Okay? It's the hope that you would feel during your engagement period. Right? Um, again, a vastly different kind of waiting. <laughs> When you're waiting during engagement, that's a totally different kind of waiting than the waiting you have when you're dating. Right? Insecure, anxious, not, not knowing what's going on. When you're engaged, the waiting is you're sure of the day that's coming, and so you wait with eager longing, and that's what the Bible says. That's how we are to wait upon the Lord, because he's given us this oath upon his promise. So here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Look upon that oath. Look upon the oath that God has made to you and be encouraged by that so that you would hold fast to your wedding day, to your final hope. Um, it's still not about you. It's still about the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Okay. Here's, here's maybe the question that follows. Okay. Uh, did God really give me this, this ring, this oath? 
where is this sure and steady anchor that the author talks about here? And that's the last point. Uh, the sure sign of God's oath to you. Uh, the author of Hebrews says that he's given us not a what, but a who. A who when it comes to the anchor for our souls. Now, before I jump into that, let me just explain something real quick. Why, why doesn't it say here that we have an anchor for our faith, but an anchor for our soul? Um, and there are different takes on this, but here's what I think is going on here. I think the author is leaving us with a very important reminder. Um, as important as it is for you to identify who you are by your faith and be strongly encouraged by God to hold on to this faith, your salvation is not ultimately secured by the quality of your faith. So that even if you were to be shaky in your faith, given the season of life you're in or the circumstances or the trials that you're going through, no matter how big or small your faith may be, your soul can still be secure. What you need is an anchor for your soul. I think that's the point. You can be more convinced and more assured of your salvation by living out your faith. That's, that's a blessing that you don't want to miss out on. But that's not the end. Okay? That's not the ultimate sign of your assurance. How well are you doing? That's not it. There's something more sure and steady that saves your soul, that anchors your soul. So let's look at what that is. Verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now that last part about how he is a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Pastor Kevin's going to share more about that next Sunday, so I'll, I'll leave that to him. Let me focus in on what it means here by a sure and steadfast anchor. The person who anchors your soul to God forever, here it says, is your great high priest, Jesus the Christ. He has gone ahead of you as a foreigner into the inner place behind the curtain. And that's, of course, referring to the curtain in the temple, uh, separating people of God from the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. And that curtain, which was torn in two when Jesus gave up his life on the cross to be a payment for sin, it's where he said, it is finished. He secured everything that's necessary for us, for his bride, to enter into his throne, his very own presence. And he resurrected from the dead on the third day he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of god the father why to intercede for us to prepare a place for us so that on the day we stand before god and his throne we're not received by him based on our merits but based on our great high priest and his case on our behalf There's nothing more we need to prove. There's nothing more we need to do. He's done it all. All you need is Jesus. All you need is Him. The ring that God has placed on your hands is Christ. Okay. And if you ever need any encouragement, any 
refuge, as it says here, right, from all the broken promises of, of this world, you go to him and rest in his promises made to you. You meditate on how he put his life on the line to prove his promise to you, to prove that his promise to you is true. So Paul summarizes this beautifully uh, in Romans 8. Um, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You will never receive a promise like this from anywhere or anyone else. And this is the only promise that's going to give you rest. God who gave himself up for you to prove his love for you forever. That's the oath on top of the promise of God. Him giving us his whole life to prove his promise to us. A lot of you have heard me say, those of you who went through um, pre-engagement counseling with me, um, the principle of don't give your whole body to someone you haven't promised your whole life to. Don't give your whole body to someone you haven't promised your whole life to. That person is not entitled to you. Here's what our God has done for us. He's promised his whole life to us. And so he gave his whole body to us on the cross. Think upon the cross, meditate on the cross, if you ever need the reminder that someone has given the promise of an eternity to you as well as their whole body. Calvin put it like this, uh, normally anchors are, are plunged underneath the water, under the surface, so it's invisible. But yet you believe it's there, and it's able to sustain the boat through the storm. Things can look dangerously out of control above the surface, but as long as the anchor holds, the boat will stay in place. So there's a similarity there in the way we are to trust in the invisible anchor when all you see in your world are dangerously out of control things. And they are. We live in a broken world, broken by sin. But there's something underneath grounding you and anchoring you. And, he says, unlike the normal anchor that is plunged underneath the waters, our anchor is risen upwards, soars into the heavens, because nothing in this world can hold this anchor. And nor does it cleave to created things, but it rests in God alone. And this cable that binds this anchor to God's people, he says, is the Word of God. So here you are, and you're hearing the Word of God. And what is God essentially inviting you to do? Look upon the anchor. Look at the anchor that's risen upwards to the heavenly throne, and it's resting with God. 
the word of God is essentially, and the worship of God is inviting you to behold the anchor that holds your soul secure. The call to worship is that. The call to worship is for you to look upon him and by confessing how you have failed God and how you have sinned against him is for you to say, I'm no longer going to focus on these things. I'm going to turn away from these things so I can turn towards my anchor. Right? Don't let the call to confession ever imply to you. Now it's up to you to go live a sinless life to secure, secure your salvation forever. No, that takes an anchor that rests in the heavens and you have that in Jesus Christ. All of this, right, our worship, the hearing of God's word, our singing from God's word, our responding to God's word, our offering, all of this is simply meant to trace our souls back to the anchor, the invisible anchor holding fast to you. And, and there are other means of course, God has provided us praying with, praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ, studying God's word more diligently with one another, being discipled together, sharing life together. That's how we fix our eyes on our sure and steady anchor. It's good to have your faith strengthened in the here and now and build, build your level of assurance in God's love in the here and now. But know that during the seasons when you're truly struggling with that, there is a sure and more steady anchor, and that is Christ. Look to Him. Look to Him and find your rest in Him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we turn to You now uh, to be once again the source of our assurance, the source of our confidence for our salvation. God, help us turn to you and to your Son, your Son who is our anchor forever. Uh, if we have been turning to our own goodness, uh, to evidence uh, our merits, our, our, our entitlement to your, to your love, God, uh, forgive us. Uh, help us to return uh, to a more sure and steady place uh, where we can truly rest. Rest and find uh, that Christ has finished all that's needed to be done uh, to, to bring us home. And God, we're reminded right now, every single day, of how this world is not our home, how broken this world is, and how restless we feel, and how out of place this all seems, and nothing's the way it's supposed to be. But Lord, what a reminder this is, that we are created for another home a truer home that you have secured for us. Help us to look up and consider this home and find our rest there. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.